Happy Father's Day. Let's try that again. Happy Father's Day. How many of you have already reached out to your father? How many of you totally forgot? Well, this morning is an exciting launch here at City. Let me put it that way. We are going to be starting a sermon series this morning from the Gospel of Mark. It's going to carry us through the entire summer. And uh, it's not an ideal Sunday on a Father's Day to launch a sermon series because normally what I would be doing this morning is giving us sort of an in-depth background to the book. I'm actually going to do that next Sunday. This Sunday, I really do want to focus on Father's Day But again, even though it's not ideal, I'm excited about the message that I'll be bringing from the Gospel of Mark for Father's Day. The series that we're going to be preaching through, it's called simply the Gospel of Mark, Faith for the Real World. Faith for the Real World, and of course today is Father's Day. Now if you're newer to city, it's important to know that we are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. Biblically-based means is that we study the scriptures. We discover who God is and how he loves us and how we fit in to his reality in this world. Biblically-based, relationally-driven means the Bible teaches us, Jesus taught personally, that relationships the most important thing in life. Our relationship with God and our relationships with people. And spirit-led means that Jesus taught And we believe that the Holy Spirit was sent into the world by Jesus and God the Father on Jesus' ascension to heaven on the day of Pentecost so that you and I would have the power of the Spirit to live out what we learn from Scripture, but to also have power to live relationally with God, with each other. So, today is Father's Day. The sermon I'm going to be bringing is from the Gospel of Mark for today. But I thought it was kind of interesting that as the team sat around very creatively and said, how can we honor fathers and men, dads, all men in general, how can we honor them on Father's Day? And we came up with a donut truck. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, amen. There you go, guys. You got it? Just knowing that last year was our year of health, this is the year of rise up. We've kind of move past that. Now in that though, listen, I know that Father's Day, much like Mother's Day, can bring a mix of emotions. I know this. I went on Facebook this morning, and a lot of you are Facebook friends of mine, and I was looking at what different people had posted, and there were cool pictures of friends of mine who have a picture of their dad when their dad was their age, and they look very similar. There's People giving shout-outs, dad, you're the best dad in the entire world. There's no better dad, and there's a lot of joy and excitement on Father's Day, but I am keenly aware that that is not the common experience for everyone here at City. I know this. As a matter of fact, Father's Day can be a very difficult day for some. There's reasons for that. One of them is some of us here at City may have lost your father this year, and you're grieving. I know of several. I've done funerals. So I know that this Father's Day can be a challenging day. I also know that for some here, truthfully, being a dad is an incredible joy. Incredible joy. But for others, being a dad 
has been incredibly painful, excruciatingly painful. Yes, there's been joys, but there's been incredible heartache and pain. I know this. Also, I know that some who will listen to this sermon are not fathers, but you wish you were. So Father's Day is a challenging day. It can be a painful day. I also know for some, you are fathers, and you wish, as a father, you would have done better. I'm in that group. I believe that for all of us, especially those of us who have had kids that have transitioned through middle school and high school and are, I know my youngest is just holding on, well, has lost the teenage years actually, and has moved on. I look at kind of the history of me being a father and it's had incredible joys. It's had some challenges. And I'm gonna talk about this in just a few moments, but there are also things that I wish I could reach back in time and pull back and I would do it categorically differently. I can also say this, that many of us as dads, when we look at our own fathers, many of us had great dads. My dad is one of my heroes. But I can tell you there were some of the things that my dad did that I had determined I would filter out of my own fatherhood. And I've been able to do that by the grace of God. There is no perfect father. But I also know that some of us sitting here, Father's Day is challenging because you were abused by your father. And this is a very difficult day as a follower of Jesus to figure out what does it look like to forgive and to trust Jesus and to see God heal your heart from those things. But when we look at Father's Day, it's very real to me that my dad is one of my heroes. I feel very blessed. I feel blessed because my father adopted me. I was actually chosen. My father chose to be my father, and I'm grateful for it. But you know, my dad has some funny ways about him. My dad is German. His father immigrated from Germany, but my dad, very, very German, and he's very pragmatic and unemotional about almost everything. And I will never forget I was at his house probably five or six years ago. My father's now in a home with Parkinson's, dementia's beginning to claim him. But I was at his home about five years ago, and we were just sitting there chatting, and I got up to walk, and my dad got up and walked with me, and, and this is honestly what my dad said. My dad goes, Pete, what do you want from the house? It's just so random. I said, what? He goes, what do you want? I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I'm going to die. What do you want? <laughs> it was so random, right? And I said, Dad, honestly, he goes, well, you want this desk? Dad, I don't need a desk. Do you want this? No, I don't need that either. Do you want the bedroom suit? Dad, we have all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, I could tell he was feeling hurt because I wasn't choosing anything. So I just went, I, I want that painting right there. That's what I want. But that's kind of my dad. My mother's no different. You know how most times parents are somewhat emotionally, not, no, both of them totally pragmatic. So when I was there visiting probably about a year ago, my father's in this home and sometimes I'll leave Sunday after church, I'll drive down to South Carolina, go sit with my dad and my mom and then I'll spend Sunday night and drive back on Monday. And so getting in my car, my mom looks at me and goes, do you like your dad's tools? 
truth of it is, I had wanted those all along, but I knew he would not part with them. And my mom goes, your dad is now in a wheelchair. He can no longer these, you, you have, use these tools. Do you want them? I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'll take those. And then I was kind of loading them up into the car, and my mom looked at me and said, quit taking all of them. Wow, you know, it's kind of the family I grew up in. But my dad being one of my heroes, there are things that I have filtered out by God's grace. Wasn't perfect, no dad is. But here's what I do know, that in Jesus, we at least have a shot at being a different dad, especially if we had one that was broken or dysfunctional. There's beauty in that. And I know some of us sitting here as dads, we have pushed back the stuff of prior generations and with the grace of God have parented with love and care and kindness that we never experienced but Christ models for us. Amen? It's a powerful thing. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to begin reading in Mark chapter 1. And as we read in Mark chapter 1, I'm going to focus on one phrase that literally gripped me as I was thinking about and praying about this morning's sermon for Father's Day. Mark chapter 1 says this, read with me. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance For the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you were not here last Sunday, it was Pentecost Sunday, I preached a message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost Sunday. I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you are not here. Reading on verse 9, it says, and at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. That phrase, that verse, verse number 11, literally gripped me for this morning's message where God cheers from heaven, and it never says God the Father announces. All it says is, you are my son, whom I love, and with you, hey, I'm extremely well pleased. It's interesting that most other versions of the Bible, other than the NIV, actually translate the Greek this way. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved son. And in you, I am well pleased. Reading on, it says, And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. And John was put in prison. 
After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Well, the gospel of Mark was written into a chaotic world. We will learn more about that next week. It was far from perfect. The purpose for the gospel of Mark was so that people who were being persecuted for their faith and being scattered all over the known world would have a Reader's Digest version of the life of Jesus they could carry with them, and it would be enough for them to grow in faith and to share Jesus with others. But listen, that gospel was written into an imperfect world. So is ours. And this morning, my Father's Day sermon is going to be based on the fact that we live in an imperfect world, but it's a very real world. If you would notice, Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism. You just read it with me, and it was so exciting. As Jesus is baptized by John, and he submits to a sinner's baptism, he comes up out of the water, and the Bible says, it's incredible, that heaven opened, God cheers down, that's my beloved son, and in him I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to play too. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and just like in the creation story, in Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit hovers over Jesus. It's incredible. But the next phrase says this. From that moment, that high point where God the Father cheers for his son and the Holy Spirit attends his inaugural event as he steps into his ministry, the very next thing, it says, and Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days, 40 nights, and then John, the one who was the forerunner for Jesus, gets arrested and thrown in prison. And if you know the rest of the story, you know John's head was handed on a platter to an adulteress that ends his life. You see, the gospel of Mark starts with this incredible high point, but just dives into a very real world very, very quickly. I want to say this. If you are checking out faith this morning and you are looking for some pie-in-the-sky religion, don't look at Christianity. But if you are looking for something that is absolutely real and can help you move through a very real life in a very real and broken world, you're looking in the right place. That's what Jesus does for us. It's what the Gospel of Mark is all about. As I was reading Mark chapter 1, I already told you this, that phrase in verse 11 gripped me as I was getting ready for Father's Day sermon. It's this, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What we notice is, and I'm just going to share six brief thoughts from this sentence, but what we notice is, is that when that sentence is declared, and I've referenced it in the sermon already, that when that announcement comes from heaven and God the Father cheers for his son, what we know is, is that the Trinity shows up. It's the clear, clearest representation of the Trinity in the entire Newer Testament. Here's Jesus in the waters of baptism. God the Father is cheering from heaven, and the Holy Spirit hovers like a dove. 
Why does this happen? Well, almost all commentaries will tell you the same thing, and it's true. It's this, that Jesus, as he is baptized in water, identifies with sinners, and the Godhead celebrates because of his obedience. Jesus is hanging out with people just like you and me, and he submits to their same baptism. But I believe that there could also be another reason, and it's this is that God the Father are involved in this. God the Father cheers, Jesus is there. But the Holy Spirit hears God the Father say, this is my beloved Son. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to go there as well. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is through whom Jesus was conceived. And if this is his inaugural event... If this is his graduation into his ministry, if this is this huge event in his life, the Holy Spirit that was part of Christ's conception decides that he too is going to become involved. Remember, and this is important and this is my second thought, is that when God the Father cheers from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I wonder if in that moment, Jesus didn't also think about Joseph, his earthly father. I wonder if he thought about him. Because God the Father is clearly claiming Jesus as his son, and he has every right to because it's through his spirit that Jesus was conceived. But don't forget, Jesus had an earthly father. His name was Joseph. And similarly to my own life, Joseph adopts Jesus. And it's not without struggle because Mary has conceived of the Holy Spirit before Joseph has been with her. And so he knows and he's wrestling with this and then in a dream God comes to him and challenges him to take this child home with the mother in the sense of Jesus in his mother's womb and take him home as his own. It's a powerful story. You know what's stunning though in Scripture we know almost... Nothing about Joseph. We know so little. We know that he was a carpenter, most likely a stonemason. We know that he wrestled through his own righteousness when he was going to have to take Mary home to be his wife when she was already with child. We know that. One of the things that we know about Joseph that helps me feel better as a father is this, is that Joseph and Mary lost Jesus in Jerusalem for an entire day. Isn't that just a great feeling? Joseph and Mary are at some high holy feast in Jerusalem. They leave and it says they are a day away from Jerusalem. And Joseph looks at Mary and goes, where's Jesus? And she says, I thought you had not here. Turn around, take a whole day's journey back and they find Jesus in the temple instructing the teachers of the law in scripture. He was about the age of 12. But here's the reality. Joseph adopted Jesus, but there's clear indications in the Gospels that Jesus' opponents called him illegitimate publicly. They knew the story. There's hints in the Newer Testament of people who opposed him would throw these little digs at Jesus that he was illegitimate. It's not only this, but most Bible scholars believe that Joseph passes away before Jesus hits adulthood. 
Mary is a single mother to Jesus and his sisters and his brothers. Jesus experienced single motherhood. And somehow I have to feel, and you can see it in the Gospels, I have to feel that Jesus, having been raised by a single mom at least some part of his life, ends up stopping so frequently for mothers when they want their children blessed. It makes so much sense to me. He knows what it's like to have a single mom. And when he sees those mothers holding their babies, looking for that rabbinical blessing, he would never pass them by, even when his own disciples rebuked these women and said, get out of his way. He has bigger stuff to do. Now, men, what I'm going to say next is not born out of some judgment at all. It's not me condemning anyone that's here because I know many of the stories of men that are here. But here's what we have to confess, especially with men as fathers, is that we live in a broken world, horribly broken. You know, the good news is men are doing better. Statistics show that men in this generation spend three times the amount of time with their children as prior generation. I also learned that two times as many men are now stay-at-home dads as there were 20 years ago, from 3% to almost 7%. It's amazing. But as I was reading through the, the statistics, I discovered the following that in the United States today, there are nearly 13.6 million single parents raising over 21 million children. And of those single fathers are 16%. That means that 84% of all single parents are the mothers. If you were to dig, the U.S. Census Bureau tells us that up to one quarter of all U.S. homes experienced fatherlessness. That's stunning. What else is incredible is my background is Caucasian or white, and over 20% of white homes experience fatherlessness. It's stunning. And when polled by the Pew Charitable Trust, 72% of Americans said that fatherlessness is the number one social ill in our culture. But you know, there's a verse of Scripture that I have often prayed. If you're a single mother, and I know you, I have prayed this over you. Psalm 68, 5 through 6. Here's what it says. The psalmist writes, God is a father to the fatherless. I want you to hear that. The psalmist writes thousands of years ago that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. Is God in his holy dwelling? God sets the lonely in families. What a powerful image of a God who is a father to the fatherless. And I know that single dads here at City have found community. I also know that single mothers here at City have found community, and that is a fulfillment of Psalm 68, 5 through 6. It's the heart of God. But I will tell you that as I read the statistics, they kind of gripped me, because oftentimes it is uh, noted in these studies the following way, that women don't have a choice about motherhood, but fathers have a choice for fatherhood. And many are choosing not to step to the plate. 
I want to say this to all of us who are dads. Fatherhood is not a choice. It is a daily choice where we choose to walk out the love of Jesus as best as we know how. But isn't it stunning? Jesus was raised most likely by a single mother, and so were his siblings. It's a stunning thought. And yet from heaven, we go back to Mark 1.11. God cheers from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, as I think about God cheering from heaven, I know what it's like as a dad to cheer as well. I know what it's like to cheer from my kids and to be so proud of my kids. And being a dad has brought some of the greatest joys of my entire life. But can I give you full confession? Being a dad has also been one of the greatest challenges. Not because of who my kids are or what they do, It's been because of my own brokenness. And I have come to realize that what I don't bring before God or go to counseling for and get healing for gets passed on and my kids become the victims of my brokenness. I would say this, that this morning at 2.15 a.m. was another clear example of what I'm talking about. I was lying in bed and My daughters came home with their dear family friend. She's almost like a sister to them. And at 2.15 a.m. in the morning, they came into our house. They'd been at a concert having the time of their lives. It was real obvious they had had the time of their lives because they were laughing so loudly, (laughs) having so much fun in the hallway. And I have to be honest, I wanted to thank God because I laid there at 2.15. And my full confession is... Ten years ago, I would have got up with way too much anger and rebuked them and embarrassed them. I want to thank God that I don't live that way anymore. He's been so good to me, so good. But as dads, we have to deal with our stuff because if we don't, everyone suffers. Everyone. What I love about this story in the Gospel of Mark is that God cheers from heaven in chapter 1, verse 11, right out of the gate, here's my boy, he's my beloved son, and in him I am well pleased. But what you might not know, but you will discover as we process this summer through the Gospel of Mark, that in chapter 9, Jesus says it, or God the Father says it to Jesus again. Same exact words. You are my beloved son. And it's during that idea of Jesus' transfiguration. God cheers the same thing. And I couldn't help but as a dad to recognize that God is saying out loud to his son, I love you. But he says it out loud again. I don't think that's just a hint. I think that's God the Father looking at Jesus the Son and literally showing me a pattern. I can't tell my kids enough that I love them. I can't. Look, truth be told, is my dad, he's one of my heroes. He came out of a generation of men, especially, I guess, German men, who weren't real affectionate or verbal about their love. So I remember I was in grad school. My first graduate degree is in counseling. 
I was reading about all of this kind of stuff, and so I kind of took a chance and went up to my dad and was halfway through grad school, and he was paying for it, so I had to be real good to him, you know what I'm saying? So I went up to my dad, and he was like, hello, son, stuck out his hand, and I hugged him. Do you know he hugged me every time since? Every time since. My dad would say, bring it in, man, he hugged me. I had to break the ice with him. I don't know what he thought I'd do if he ever hugged me. But I hugged him. And from then on, we never left without that. Look, I don't fault him. It wasn't in him. He didn't understand it, but he was ready to make his move. But I love how God the Father repeatedly, at least twice, cheers for his son publicly. It's my boy. He's my beloved son. What a pattern for us as parents. Now here's what I do know as we move towards the fifth thought. That some of us are sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that's all well and good. Jesus got that cheered over. I mean, his dad looks down, you know, Jesus, you are my beloved son and you I'm well pleased. And of course, he's perfect. Of course, God's going to cheer that over Jesus because Jesus was the perfect kid. He mowed the lawn before Joseph ever got up in the morning. Before Joseph ever could reach out for the next stone to put in the wall as a mason, Jesus was already there, you know, chipping it, getting it ready. Perfect son. You know what's incredible? Is that that word beloved is used for you and me. Same word, no different. It's that word in the Greek that comes from the Greek word for unconditional love, agape. What God cheers from heaven is agapeo. I agapeo my son. I love him. He's my akabao son. He's my son that is absolutely beloved. I love him unconditionally. But what's stunning is, is throughout the Newer Testament, again, you and I are called the same thing. Let me give you a few examples. 1 Peter 2.11. It's translated the following way in the NIV. Dear friends is how it's translated. But it's the exact same word that God cheers from heaven. Beloved. Dear friends, beloved. I urge you, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Peter brings out that word again in chapter 4 in 1 Peter where he says, Dear friends, it's the same word, beloved, unconditionally loved people, people that God loves. He writes, Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes against your faith to test you. Don't think there's something unusual if you are in a test. Colossians 1.7, the Apostle Paul writes the following. He writes, You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly beloved fellow slave, our beloved slave. He writes on in the book of Colossians chapter 4, Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother and faithful servant. Colossians 4, 9, Apostle Paul writes about Onesimus, a runaway slave. He says of him, he is a dearly loved 
He is a beloved brother in Christ. And he challenges Philemon to take him back, not as a runaway slave, but as a brother. And then Colossians 4.14. Paul's talking about Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. He calls him the dearly loved physician, the beloved physician. You see, what we need to know is this, is that the same word that God cheers down from heaven for his son is what you and I are called in Christ. And that brings me my last point. Notice that God cheers for Jesus before he does anything. God cheers from heaven. That's my boy. That's my beloved son. And in him I am well pleased. And Jesus' ministry hasn't even started. Isn't that awesome? God just bursts with love for his son. And he announces it. Jesus hadn't earned it. He hadn't done a miracle yet. Hadn't raised the dead Jesus hadn't touched people and healed them and delivered them from demonic spirits. Jesus has done none of it up until this point. God just chooses to cheer from heaven. The son that I agape, unconditionally love him. You know why else this is so cool? Is that Jesus does not do what he does in his ministry to try to earn God's approval and earn God's love. No, God gives him that at the beginning, at the beginning. Earning it doesn't motivate him. What motivates him is that he knows he is loved unconditionally and that he is beloved of God. As we close out our time, it's Father's Day. And I believe with all of my heart that the same God that cheered on his son, you are my beloved son, and in you I'm well pleased. That same God is here with his Holy Spirit this morning. And I believe this morning there are some men, for the first time, you must truly look at God as your Father and bring your life to him through Christ. That this Father's Day is the day. For others of us, Father's Day has always been a challenge because dad was not with what you had wanted him to be. As a matter of fact, he was a lot of things that you now despise. The same Holy Spirit that was hovering over Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that's here. And if that Holy Spirit can create an entire creation on the day of creation, that same Holy Spirit can come here and touch your heart and free you up from anger and bitterness and resentment. I can also say this, that if Jesus needed to hear that he was dearly loved, so do the people in our lives. If he needed it, people around us need it too. So fathers, we have a lot of leverage. We have a lot of authority. But I believe that that's always used best when it's submitted to God, our Heavenly Father where we look to Christ, his son, as an example of what a great life is to be lived. So if we can stand together into God's presence, all of us, and as we stand into God's presence,
Jesus is about faith in the real world. Not pie in the sky stuff. This is real world faith. So is the gospel of Mark. But men, as we stand into God's presence, I'm going to ask that you and I would close our eyes just for a moment. And we would open up our hearts to a God who would declare over you, you are dearly beloved. I agape you. We have a God that unconditionally loves us. A relationship with him always begins here. And it comes back to it often. Men, as we stand in God's presence, let's open up our hearts to him. Dear God, I pray that you would touch me, that you would touch us as men. And for the ladies that have stood into this auditorium, into your presence as well, I pray a blessing over them too. God, I'm asking for each man that we would be men. That when we read that phrase that is so potent, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, that from that phrase we can find life and life in Christ. Jesus, thank you for who you are to us. God the Father, thank you for who you are to us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our fatherhood and into us and our lives as men. Holy Spirit, come. And we pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.